If you're looking to buy or sell pre-IPO stock, SharesPost has a solution for you. Since 2009, SharesPost has transacted more than $4 billion in the top private tech companies. Proven, trustworthy, secure. Visit us at SharesPost.com. Coming up on Equity, Slack is again raising a ton of money. Snap and Dropbox report their quarterly earnings. Oh my God, Magic Leap actually has a product and a few other big grounds for Chinese startups. Disrupt SF is around the corner, everybody, and you know what that means. Panels with all-star investors such as Roloff Botha, Reed Hoffman, and Aileen Lee, celebrities Ashton Kutcher and Mike Judge, and hot topics like space, the blockchain, fitness, drones, and health. And guess what else? We're going to record Equity live yet again. Come watch myself, Connie Loizos, and our guest Gary Tan of Initialized Capital live on stage Thursday, September 6th on the showcase stage at 3 p.m. You know you want to come, head on over to techlunch.com slash events slash disrupt dash sf dash 2018 and enter code equity for 15% off the main ticket price. Oh, the savings. Welcome to Equity. I'm TechCrunch's Matthew Lindley. I'm joined by Crunchbase News Editor-in-Chief Alex Wilhelm. Hi, everybody. Silicon Valley Editor Connie Loizos is out this week. And our guest today is Christine Tsai, who is the co-founder and CEO of 500 Startups. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. And sorry if I was laughing hysterically. We just messed up the intro like five times that you guys missed it. And so That's actually why we never went through with the plan of doing some live streams of this taping, because then you would see... <laughs> you would see a disaster. The, the, <laughs> the, the intro is like 15 minutes to record 15 seconds. And the rest of the show kind of goes in one take but that's just how professional we are to the cause all right anyways so speaking of being professional um slack yes okay 400 million dude it's a lot of money okay so what happened with slack so slack is once again going to the great well of capital and dipping its ladle in and taking a long drink this time 400 million from general atlantic and dragoneer at a seven billion dollar valuation up from a i believe 5.1 billion when they'd raise about a quarter billion, again, from the SoftBank Vision Fund. So mm-hmm. here we have everyone's favorite company, one of the fastest ARR accreting firms ever to burst out of Silicon Valley, and the reason why you can use gifts at work and not get in trouble. There are a <laughs> lot of gifts in Slack. But I mean, well, this is this is an interesting one, too, because so we're now we're now uh, we're now learning from uh, TechCrunch writers, Ingrid Linden and Josh Constein are, are breaking the story with them raising a ton of money. And it was just a couple weeks ago that Atlassian basically threw in the towel on workplace communications. They said they were essentially going to shut down Stride, their workplace communications, and then Slack was going to buy the IP and various other elements of it. And, you know, as a result, Atlassian gets like a small nominal like stake in, in Slack or something along those lines. That's right. Close enough. So, so essentially... Slack one. I mean, there's Microsoft Teams, right? But mm, Slack, Facebook. But, yeah, Facebook, Facebook work. work, whatever. Alibaba's, <laughs> I mean, D- uh, Ding Talk. Ding Talk. Yeah. Th- thank yeah. you. Because yeah. uh, one critical thing that this podcast has taught me in the last six months is if you're not bringing up China, you're probably missing something. We in this case, Ding Talk is the, the Slack competitor uh, from Alibaba, mm-hmm. and it has more companies on its platform than anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I think we can safely say that you know slack's ahead of teams and certainly ahead of is facebook at work actually a thing have you ever <laughs> used this christine i have not we're slack obsessed so <laughs> it's hard for me to say yeah i'm on like six slack groups and no one has ever said to me like dude let's try facebook <laughs> i mean one i quit facebook in january because oh, who's got yeah. time for that and two i don't want to be on a f- no it just doesn't strike me as a place where i would get anything done so th- so th- so getting back to slack um so this one's uh this one's an interesting one at least from uh, from my perspective because this is the so in the past three rounds they have brought on one two three four five new partners so thrive led the not the most recent one not this one or the last one but the one before that and then softbank led 
the one before this one, yes. and now we have General Lennox and Dragoneer potentially being in this round. And so they've just collected this like massive partners across like a wide variety of of stages of investment stages, and I feel like I don't see that very often. And I, I feel like you see this uh, kind of like continuing rolling set of partners that invest in it. You know, whether it's like Andrews and Horowitz doing continuing continuous investing in a lot of these other a lot of these other startups or Excel or benchmark or whatever right and i i don't know i mean this this seems out of the ordinary to me but maybe i'm just hallucinating i don't know if the the different lead investor count is uh weird maybe it is but i mean the amount of capital and the pace of it is certainly fascinating because a lot of companies that kind of suck need tons of capital or at least that are very expensive to run but slack has always been so uh, efficient in building out ARR, I've always presumed that their cost structure was relatively in keeping with their revenue growth. So they wouldn't be destroying massive piles of cash that a lot of SaaS companies do because they probably have lower customer acquisition costs. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been my impression. I don't know. What, when you look at this company, Christine, what do you, do you see like a, a cash fire or do you see kind of a more efficient business? It does seem like a, a much more efficient business. I mean, I think if you um, hear Stewart talk about the company and things you see they're kind of a quote modest size and they aren't the type that they, they have seen probably much more growth than you would expect from a SaaS like enterprise messaging company mm-hmm. you don't really think of huge growth when you look at that sector but um, they obviously have grown a lot and we're talking here about them sort of um, arguably winning the enterprise messaging market it's become this platform they're investing in companies building on the Slack pa- platform and so in terms of them being you know like of those two different ends of the spectrum um, I definitely lean more towards like they're they're building a very sustainable business uh, like I think more than um, I don't know if it's half uh, maybe close to half of their their users are actually paying customers. Um, so Yeah, so a couple numbers on that point. So back in September of 2017, if my notes serve me, if not, please email uh, lindley at techrunch.com. Mm-hmm. Um, Slack had about- This is a joke we'll explain later, by yeah. the way. So. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a funny one for next week. Um, Slack had 2 million paid seats and about ARR of 200 million. So September 2017, about two and 200. Very good. Now, in May of this year, they announced they had 3 million paid seats and then didn't say their ARR. But I can do math. And if their average revenue per seat didn't dramatically change, it's about $300 million in ARR as of May of this year. So if you think about it, we're a couple months down the road. Let's presume growth has been pretty good. Let's say they're up to 350, uh, sorry, 3.5 million paid seats. That'd be about $350 million in ARR. At a $7 billion valuation, if my math holds up, it's about a 20x ARR multiple, mm-hmm. um, which for their pace of growth, it doesn't actually seem that stupid. Well, I mean, we're talking about SaaS companies, right? And we were actually just talking last week about how like the your SaaS multiple is what generally between like four and seven next year's revenue. And nowadays, it seems like it's kind of like creeping a little bit higher on like towards like the seven, maybe a little bit above that range, depending on your margins. And so then you have, so you take, so you take Slack's 350 quote unquote potential ARR. That's uh, back of the envelope, guys. Yeah, don't, back don't of the take envelope, that to the bank. Uh, you, you say it's a, you say it's a 20 X next year's revenue multiple. Well, 20 X ARR. So it's, yeah, not, it's yeah. not a forward ARR is like, quarter, like basically next year, right? It's, uh, it's more conservative than forward and more liberal than trailing. Yeah. It's there in you that, go. that middle bit of, yeah, I think I have that right. Yeah. Something I'll, like that. I'll <laughs> We have a VC in the room that can walk through all this. <laughs> These children are so stupid. I'm not saying anything. No. <laughs> uh, uh, but, but if it's like, so you so you have your, so basically you definitely have your 
your top top of the top end of the SaaS multiple, and then you tack on a growth multiple. Because again, we live in a universe where growth companies like Netflix get a PDE ratio of 150 gajillion, right? So we are currently living in a pocket universe, which is great. And it's I don't know. It seems like it seems like one of those things, though. It's hard to divorce the idea of is Slack really this like supremely excellent business that's justifying a seven billion dollar valuation that doesn't necessarily need the money, or is money still really freaking cheap? Because it is still really freaking cheap. So I don't know. Like I'm, I, I just think we we discount competition too much. I mean, Microsoft just made Teams free, and they've been aggressively selling this into the Office 365 channel, which has been a huge success for the company. And I know Microsoft is roughly as interesting as Paint drawing to everyone here in the Valley, but they have an enormous enterprise sales channel, and they are mm. now going after Slack really hard. Because recall, they tried to buy it, or were thinking about buying it like, a while ago, yeah, for like eight billion, yeah. And now that actually that looks relatively prescient. But I mean, Microsoft now wants to kill it. And if you have Alibaba and Microsoft, which are two of the six most valuable companies in the world, you have one third of the top six trying to snuff you out, maybe $400 million makes some sense. Mm-hmm. And that, that's why I thought this deal was really dumb when I first heard about it. I'm like, why the hell do they need more money? What a bunch of clowns. Sorry, Stuart. I'm kind of kidding. But like now when I think about the competitive landscape, it almost feels defensive. And the market could shift. I mean, I'm not sure if the 500 companies are, are trying to raise a little earlier than they might otherwise. But I hear some companies are trying to you know, think about what would happen if the market dynamics changed. Yeah, I think that's very true. I mean, it could be that this was an opportunistic um, uh, financing round, or it could be, I mean, if, if does this come off as a round that they needed? I mean, obviously, it doesn't seem that way. So it could be that they're preparing, you know, lining their coffers for, could be for, you know, when money is not so easy to raise. But I think it's also, um, you know, what Slack could become beyond its current um, its current use case, which is primarily, of course, messaging, but it's obviously starting to build out uh, much more of a platform. I mean, with Microsoft and Facebook, um, they have obviously much broader of a platform and product landscape that is beyond, you know, Teams or what is it, Facebook at work or whatever their oh, name yeah, is right, called. Yeah. The thing no right. one uses. <laughs> right. And Slack right now, I don't think, I mean, beyond maybe the platform that it's starting to build where you can build on top of the Slack app, there's not it's just that's just kind of that's their product, but I don't know. Um, you know, it seems like they've been making you know some small acquisitions lately, or some are small, some are bigger, more notable. Mm-hmm. But they're still kind of in that messaging space. So maybe it it expands from here. Maybe that's uh, maybe that's something that's um, kind of you know in in the future for them. Yeah. So, the, sorry. Go for well, I mean, you I think you made a, make a really good point because like when you look at this, you're you're talking about the Microsoft. You know, you have they have Office three sixty five and all these other channels. Like this playbook, this this sort of cross pollination playbook is one that was basically the playbook that every single social gaming company ran back in 2010, 2011, 2012, which is, you know, we have this super popular game. We're going to advertise the crap out of our new game on the super popular game and migrate all of those users to the one that we definitely know is going to either make more money or coexist alongside those games so we can double dip on those users or something along those lines. So Microsoft and Alibaba, they both have cloud, they both have cloud offerings. You know, Microsoft has Office 365, like you mentioned. So there's, there's this huge opportunity for cross-pollination. So it actually makes sense that you're just looking at this and you're like they really just have to flip a switch and we suddenly face like an existential threat. But the Microsoft gameplay doesn't always work and this is actually going to be my segue into Dropbox so watch this. Microsoft <laughs> Microsoft had a product called SkyDrive which was the best name for a cloud storage product that was ever formulated. Then they lost a patent fight because they didn't want to pay a bunch of money to some rando. Then it became OneDrive which no one liked the name of and uh, they did not, I think, really beat out or kill off Dropbox or Box, which are both now public companies. And that brings us to Dropbox's earnings, which is the next topic on our podcast today. So, bam! 
Segway. Good transition. Thank you. Four, All right. Four points to me. So Dropbox. Uh, so we have an earnings report from Dropbox today. This is their second quarterly report, um, and things on paper look like they went pretty well. So um, I'm just going to run through the numbers here because Alex is going to do it, and he's going to do it really fast unless I do it. So um, so <laughs> the uh, second quarter revenue, Dropbox generated $339.2 million. It's about up 27% year over year beat Wall Street expectations. The adjusted earnings were about 11 cents per share compared to, again, Wall Street expectations of 7%, 7 cents per share. These are the two numbers that we just kind of focus on for Wall Street and blah, 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 blah. The big one is gap gross margin. So the last time we talked about Dropbox's earnings, uh, which I think was whatever it was, four months ago, three months ago, or something probably like that. Probably three. Yeah, probably three. Thank you, Alex. <laughs> we were talking about how uh, the gross margin had slipped slightly. And... You look at that and you're just like, okay, did they like miss their profitability window? What happened there? What's going on? And now you look at it right now and it's like, actually, it's up to 73%. Okay, well, like that's a really like kick-ass SaaS, <laughs> SaaS gross margin. Well, um, for a storage business, that's amazing. If you were a pure SaaS like software company, that should be kind of low, I feel. Something like that. Anyways, but it's a storage company and then, you know, because they've been investing on infrastructure and things like that, they're basically pulling an old school Justin TV move, which is we're just going to buy our own servers and run our ser- run this insanely efficient business on our own servers instead. Um, 11.9 million paid users. ARPU was up. Sorry, average revenue per user was up to $116.66. That's up from the same quarter last year. So overall, the numbers actually look pretty good. So naturally, the stock is down 7%. Um, no, no, actually, it's worse than that. Uh, as I stare at my uh, Yahoo Finance live ticker, it's down. Uh, it's an oath. Oath property. That was a, that was a, that was a brand uh, that was for y'all. All right, uh, that, that didn't work. It's off 10%. And uh, a couple of things. So this is not the only news that came out. Uh, they've hired a couple of new VPs, including Adam Nash, the former CEO of Wealthfront, yeah. who, in my experience, has been a relatively genial person. Um, they have another VP of product marketing from Salesforce, I believe. So mm-hmm. two Salesforce. nice little pickups. Yeah, two big hires. Yeah. But then their COO is leaving. They announced today, and Lindley has a note about that in a second. But also, critically, they changed their lockup period by like 48 minutes due to some blackout periods and whatnot. All, all of this sums to me is a really, really great quarter and some mature personnel changes, and the stock's down 10%. And I was on Twitter before this, like I always am, and uh, no one in finance Twitter knows what's going on. So <laughs> there's a big mystery floating above the podcast today entitled, What's Up with Dropbox? And I don't, I mean, Christine, I don't know if you have a hypothesis, but I, I have no idea why it's down. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, just because the you would think that with them being earnings and um, I don't even think the COO change should, I, I mean, it didn't seem like, it, I mean, that would seem like maybe it would scare some people, just a big yeah. you know, executive C-level person leaving and someone like Dennis Woodside. But um, at the same time, I kind of packaged it with, uh, you know, Adam joining and, and um, the other person, I forgot the name, unfortunately. I will look it up. Yeah. Um, and Adam is, you know, Adam Nash is very well known as a, a very strong product person. And mm-hmm. that's something that Dropbox has been great at. So um, why it's down? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, usually like if adult supervision is leaving the room that you, but has been there for four and a half years, that yeah. doesn't really cause a stock to fall off a cliff. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so to be fair, prior to like throughout the day, prior to the close, Dropbox is up about 10, nine, nine, between nine and 10%. Mm-hmm. Like it was kind of floating up around right. that area. And then the, the, the report came out and then it was up 7% and then it fell 10% again. So actually like realistically speaking, it's, it's a wash from flat. what it was 24 right. years or 24, 24, 24 years hours, ago. <laughs> 24 hours ago, 24 years. Happy birthday. Um, <laughs> How old to, is this company? I thought it was, <laughs> I thought it was a new one. Yeah. Um, so they, they gave it all back 
fact, but I mean, the shocking thing here is, and this is a, almost kind of a weird moment, but a lot of companies are like, we don't want to go public because of the quarterly vicissitudes of earnings. And I've always been like, oh, grow up, you're a corporation, everyone else can do it, why not you? Mm-hmm. And here we have an argument in favor of that argument. Like, mm-hmm. this is kind of a weird swing here. Like, I wouldn't want to go up 9% then down 9%. That would give me a heart attack. Like maybe I'm weak, but it just seems like a lot of extra stress. Well, I mean, so when you're when you're advising your companies, I mean, a lot of the times when I when I'm talking to people, they they especially SaaS companies, they talk about it as it like a a, a selling point for potential customers as like a point of legitimacy. You mean like, an IPO? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if we're public, we're a legit company. You should be using us. But I, I don't know if that's like what you see with what you see with like your portfolio companies or anything along those lines. Yeah, I mean, for us, we're usually investing. I mean, when I think about SaaS companies, because this is the category in which Dropbox would fall. Um, obviously, probably one of the challenges in selling to customers, particularly getting those enterprise contracts, is are you going to be around in a year, mm-hmm. um, um, it, or or am I going to sign up for this product and then um, be screwed over if you guys run out of money or can't raise funding? So, um, in terms of you know enterprise customers thinking it's legit, um, you know some of it does come with. Um, certainly them raising, you know, that next round backed by an institutional investor that gives it a lot more credibility. Um, certainly if there's sales expertise on the team or maybe those founders really understand their customer well, they understand um, kind of enterprise speak and um, they have that network that that's obviously brings a lot more validation than to people have no idea what they're doing and deciding, hey, let's do an enterprise product, which you know, <laughs> is, very, is very common. Um, Ooh, so that doesn't sound, why would that be common? Let's go into a really hard sector <laughs> with enormous sales cycles and beat our head against a wall for some ARR. Woo! It'll be yeah. fun. Yeah. yeah. Well, some, <laughs> some people are crazy. Uh, we have a lot of topics. So I'm going to scoot us to the next thing, which is everyone's, uh, well, everyone's former favorite company. I like it. Oh. I still use it. You use Snapchat. Yes, I oh. use Snapchat. I love Snapchat. D- when's the last time you used Snapchat? Literally this morning. All right. You? Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I I do not have it on my phone anymore. I Probably the last time I used it was, I don't even know. And yeah. even when I did have an account, I didn't know what I was doing. Alex, so. Alex is, you're going to open your Snapchat at some point. You're going to have like 55 from me because I do keep sending them to you. Oh, yeah. I'm going to put those in a little bucket entitled Memories I Wish I Didn't Have. Anyways, um, so. Hey, everyone. Don't forget, this episode is brought to you by Shares Post. All right. So the company, though, lost and adjusted 14 cents per share in Q2, which was actually better than the expectations of a 0.17 cent per share loss. So they lost less on an adjusted basis, and they beat on revenue. They had 262.3 million rev, which beat expectations of 250.4. Um, and, and then, you know, that's kind of where the good news stops. So I pulled some bad news uh, that I wanted to kind of highlight for us, because this is what I don't get about, about the company. Uh, their net loss was greater than their revenue by about $90 million, which is bad. Um, their operating cash flow of negative $199.3 million was actually kind of close to their revenue. And their free cash flow of negative $234.2 million was also close to their revenue quantity. And their adjusted EBITDA, which is like the fakest possible profitability metric you can possibly imagine, was negative $169 million in the quarter, uh, more than half of, uh, of revenue. So anyways, Snap just sets fire to money, is not close to profitability, is not even close to fake profitability. And this was better than what Wall Street expected. And that, that's the whimsical part about this. But we're, we're burying the lead. So what really mattered about the Snap earnings report was the fact that they shed 3 million DAUs from Q1 to Q2. So they were up year over year, but sequentially they were down. And that's why they uh, ended up giving back some of their value uh, in the next day's trading. And social wins zero for three. Facebook, down. Twitter, down. Snap, down. So if you're a social startup, your valuation just got cut by 20%. Sorry. 
Oh, Happy yeah. Friday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, it's when you, I mean, when we were just, we literally just talked about this 10 seconds ago with Dropbox is one of the big sticking points for Snap is they have these like, huge AWS and Google Cloud platform contracts, which are insanely expensive. It's like billions of dollars committed over the next like couple quarters, years, whatever. Years. And like, it's like Dropbox when if you want to actually improve your margins and you want to actually generate an income like in some fashion, uh, you have to your revenue has to exceed the amount of money you feed into the AWS vending machine, and <laughs> and unfortunately, the more people use your product, the more times you have to feed money into your AWS vending machine. So it's one of those things where it's actually like the efficiency of it is is uh, it's like a it's like a negative feedback loop. Your app becomes more po- more popular, which costs you more money, and so you and you aren't able to make more money to keep up with the amount of increasing costs you have from more people using your platform. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it mentioned that their their usage went down quite a bit, um, and it sounded like their rationale for that was a massive redesign to the app that somehow drove users away, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, we're, all, we're also discounting the fact that they, like, completely redid the app last year, and uh, or maybe it was earlier this year. And then also, you know, in February, I remember Evan was actually on stage um, actually on stage talking about a problem with the company while the whole Cambridge Analytica thing was happening and Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> was just hiding in a closet. Um, so uh, he so he was talking about on stage defending the heck out of that redesign. It's like, you know, like, no, users are going to love this. They're definitely going to use it. They'll, they just have to get used to it, so on and so on and so forth. And then, bah, like, clearly people did not like it. So, I mean, but if you're looking at this, Snap is a product company. And every single time you kind of like tweak the product or mess with it a little bit, you run the risk of crazy mm-hmm. backlash. I mean, I remember back when Facebook used to make small changes to newsfeed, you would they would tweak <laughs> they would tweak something and every, there'd be a revolt, yeah. a complete yeah. revolt. I'm gonna stop using it. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, but Facebook has like a portfolio of products now, right? They have Instagram and WhatsApp and all these other things. Yeah. And Snap is still just like the one Snap. product, right? Yeah. So it's it's one of those things where I mean, if you're if you're a product company. This is a redesign, a screwed-up redesign can actually literally damage the future of the company if you're not careful. Well, we had two two of the companies actually give back uh, active users. So Snap shed 3 million DAUs right. and um, Twitter shed a few million MAUs. I forget the numbers offhand. Yeah. Facebook just didn't grow as quickly as it was the people thought it was going to. And they said that their operating uh, margin will be down like 10% in, in the long run. So it was a huge profitability hit in the future. Um, so kind of a mixed bag of bad. Yeah. Uh, but across the board, really not good. And I actually, before Snap re- uh, reported earnings, I was like, come on, Snap. It's all on you now. you got to go out there and defend the honor of the social companies. Yeehaw. And then just, you know, they dropped the ball. But yep. there was this there was this moment there. The stock, like, went up, I think, after they reported earnings because they beat on the numbers. And then it went down again. So there was a, there was a brief glimmer of hope. And then, um, and then people got to the second half of the page. How, how, <laughs> how do you have a net loss still Bigger than your revenue, like if I if my notes here are correct, but like it's just the the financials of this company. I read them every quarter, and I just kind of I don't know walk away. It's just it's odd to me that it was able to go public yeah. as it's such an immature company and, mm-hmm. and and financial entity, and two that it's still worth sixteen billion dollars when, I mean, like no not even not even a glimmer of a path to profitability. I mean they were gross margin negative for a long time up until their IPO, like a couple quarters before. Mm-hmm. I, I mean I wouldn't. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm probably biased because I don't use it, so I already have my own negative perception <laughs> of it. But it, it does seem like, I mean, um, you know, this is probably at a point in time when Snap was, I don't know if it was ever considered the the darling. I mean, there was probably always some sort of um, um, 
negative perception of of the app and maybe some aspects about the company and, and the the team. But um, you know, there was a point where it was like on fire, and and now it's just that audience, especially um, you know younger, everything primarily female, but just the fact that it's it is a younger audience, they are quite fickle, right? If they don't like it or if, if the experience isn't great, then they probably move on to something else. And um, and the other thing about Snap, which um, I think about certainly from the global perspective, because we do invest um, all around the world, is that it's it's pretty much just iOS and Android is so so, which you know rules out a lot of um, a lot of emerging markets. Yeah. And it, it was a so. major problem when they were going public. I remember they mentioned it a couple of times and like the S one and stuff like that. Ah, so. Right. yeah. So you're yeah. totally correct. And yeah. so that precludes a bunch of the world, and you can't drive as much ARPU if you don't have as much uh, you. As it's said, that's and that's why right. he's still on the on air. On that note of not having users at all, only <laughs> <laughs> talk into your microphone. Stop spinning in your chair. Uh, anyways, on that note of not having users at all, um, Magic Leap product. Yep, it exists. So, magi- so <laughs> this, this is this is an important week, y'all. After all the trash we've talked about, Magic Leap raising, I think, like two point three billion dollars and having no product, they now have a product which you are going to be able to buy for twenty three hundred dollars. For twenty three hundred dollars, <laughs> you can have that or an iPhone and two iPads, depending on what you want to do that day. Ah, yeah. Or you can be like Dave Marin and have two iPhones. Uh, a that that and an iPhone. joke doesn't work anymore because no one else remembers but us. Uh, if you it, don't get that joke, Google. So path. let me explain the no, joke. Let's, let's <laughs> not explain that joke. All right. So what I've done for us today is. Uh, I just quickly want to read a couple of notes about this because this is a company that has been captivating the venture capital scene for a long time uh, because everyone's been either completely sold on its product vision and a firm believer or they've been in the peanut gallery throwing stones like we have. So (laughs) what I've done for us is I've grabbed two little quotes, one from The Verge and one from VentureBeat, uh, two publications that are are fine. And um, so this is from uh, a woman named... uh, A.D. Robertson, who wrote what I think is probably the canonical review of, of the uh, of the Magic Leap uh, V1, if you will. And so here's what she said. Based on an afternoon with Magic Leap, the Magic Leap 1 Creator Edition, it's a functional, thoughtfully designed headset with some very real advantages over competitors like the Microsoft HoloLens, but it doesn't seem like a satisfying computing device or a radical step forward for mixed reality. And I feel like what they were kind of promising throughout this entire fundraising and also their insane hype and PR cycle was, we are going to blow your mind, just wait. And to come Mm -hmm. out with an incremental as opposed to revolutionary change, I feel, um, and I know I'm a bit of a hater, so I'll temper this, a bit of a letdown. And um, I'm curious how they're going to proceed with going to market with this and also what's coming next. And the second quote is? Um... This is from the the roundup. It's clear from the hands-on that Magic Leap will continue to face significant development, marketing, and pricing challenges, which is just about all the challenges you can face, aside from (laughs) personnel. So it's kind of like, and all of it's still ahead of them. So that's, I don't know. I I would love to get, uh, are we surprised or are we not surprised? I'm not surprised. I mean, I think this this space in general, like the, when you think about the technologies, obviously probably what... Um, a lot of people are bettering on then you know what's um, what's the long-term vision of VR as it relates to just everyday use and like what are the implications and I'm sure there's a lot of technology in terms of building building that anyway but in terms of expecting that they were going to come out well maybe come out with something at all now but coming out with something that's you know that's blows your mind um, I, I wouldn't have expected that just because that doesn't seem realistic um, I mean I feel like it's more of my view on VR and AR in that right now it could have um, and does have some great use cases for certain, um, you know, 
I could see this great for training, for education, but in terms of like the everyday consumer, if you're thinking of it from that lens, then it's just, I don't think it's there yet. I mean, who's going to, that, that price point is just not accessible for the vast majority of people. And yeah. what do you do with this? Well, I, I mean, mean to be to be clear, this is the developer edition. They're basically this is oh, like yeah, the this creator. is like, yeah, the, the creator, creator edition, edition yeah. whatever you want to call it. Like I mean, it's like Google Glass, basically. <laughs> that that other and that went great. Glass thing that definitely <laughs> did really really well. Um, where it's like getting it in the hands of developers so they can like play around with it, create use cases for it, mm-hmm. things like that. But I mean, you look at AR startups like pretty much all day, right? So like, what what well. do you? Go- well, <laughs> hopefully not all day, but hopefully you, you see, see some. But AR you see startups. a lot of AR startups, right? I mean, what is like what are some of the emerging cases that that are coming up? That I mean, is this a product we even need because I feel like we yeah I I will say so um, we don't uh, I don't actually look at them all a a lot I mean we've done some investments in in the space and it's something we would keep an eye on as we would with probably a lot of different sectors because we invest um, we invest pretty broadly although we do like to focus on a few areas but for VR and AR I would I would I would say we're probably maybe a little bit more hesitant on it only because um, it really kind of depends on on the company like we've done a few investments in the space um, and you know, because we invest so early stage, we're investing really, really early. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, we we have we have invested in Penrose, which is more on the um, uh, I guess content side um, mm-hmm. in terms of VR AR. So there's a clear use case there. But so I, I, that's probably what I would look at in terms of if it is AR or VR. Um, there's got to be some something that they're targeting, like very specialized. I mean, when you we we kind of joke about the Google Glass scenario, people obviously still use it. I mean, I, when I go to my doctor, it's it's a lot of them use it for that for that purpose. Mm-hmm. So there's a clear, maybe in that case, there, it's found a home for in the medical in the yeah, medical world. Yeah. But that's but, been the, yeah. the sidebar to this, that a lot of these yeah. expensive headsets uh, that are super cool technology but aren't great for consumer use may have an industrial application yeah. or exactly. in this case, a medical application. Yeah. But magically one creator edition is not magically one industrial edition, right? This yeah. is not aimed at that market. So, yeah. my, so to your actual point, I wonder if they're shooting for a market that doesn't quite exist yet. Yeah. I'm still bullish on VR and AR in the long run. Well, I presume I will buy this and use it very often. I do not think I have any compelling reason to today. And I am the target market. I have a very fast gaming PC at home. I play mm-hmm. games. I have disposable income to buy a headset if I want to do. Like, I'm kind of the target market. And I kind of go, yeah. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. so so there's I think, I think there's two things happening here. One is that Magic Leap was so loud about their product being game changing for so long. It was like the they were oh my god, like the the promo videos and all of the all, like they were they were basically saying we are going to fundamentally change the way people use augmented reality. And when I look at what's coming out here and it's like okay, it's a cool set of, you know, AR glasses that people might use walking around wherever. Uh when I look at this, I think of back and look at what happened with Google Glass and what happened with Pokemon Go, and I wonder, did we actually <laughs> just like skip the goggles altogether and just go straight to using our phones only because we already yeah. have our AR headset? It's in your hand. You point it at stuff instead. You're not, you just mm-hmm. don't have like your goggles around your head. And so not only can you point stuff at your head, you have a magic space being talking into your ear to tell you how to do things. If you're wearing AirPods. If you're, or or mm-hmm. any any headset now. I mean, any like wireless earbuds. Like, I didn't know with the headphones now. were still legal. Yeah. All right. <laughs> but, uh, but, but I mean, you, so it's, it's sort of like, it it's, depends on your interpretation of AR. It's a magic leap says our interpretation of AR and mixed reality is going to be a headset, but is is like the actual what's going to happen with AR going to be in your ear and on your phone? Maybe. Maybe mm-hmm. we don't actually. Maybe we skipped a headset and we just went straight to voice. And, oh, context- no, no, and con- I hope not. Contextual. Well, no, because contextual, like contextual voice 
interfaces actually make a ton of sense for a lot yeah. of things. So I, I don't want to see the, the grand vision of living and playing in different worlds that VR can bring to you chipped down to a Pokemon Go and AirPod situation. <laughs> I want I want I want the promise of that to be real. But it doesn't have to be games. I mean, you've, you've, sure. seen, you've seen the movie Her, right? No, I, oh, yes. I mean, yes. it's the nerd dude but with this the talking is phone. all around you. Yeah, but but no, it's your, you know, my my interface with the computer is literally an entity talking into my ear, having a normal conversation with me. I mean, I read sci-fi, so this is not a new concept. But there's no, like, mixed reality or anything like that. So, yeah, but I don't, but that to me, that to me seems emotional, like a lesser uh, experience. That, that seems more like a, like a um, I don't know, like, like a computing human interface as opposed to a content experience that I find transportive. So I'm, I, I want both. They're not mutually exclusive. But, um, on the hype point, and we have to move on to, to China really quick, but uh, there's an old story in the in the annals of, of gaming history. Uh, and if you want to learn about how not to overhype things, just Google John Romero is going to make you, and then you'll see the whole story about ID <laughs> Games and uh, Daikatana. I can't say that word on the show, so uh, I'll just send you that direction. All right, Lindley, what's going on in China? Okay, so um, there's stuff happening in China. Again this week, um, <laughs> usually. No, I mean, uh, no. It's, it's like every show, that, yeah. something that involves money. Yeah, yeah. Every, no, every every show now. I mean, it, pr- it feels like every show now. We we cover this stuff. So we, we've got two really, really, really big rounds. We'll start with a smaller one, which is I'm no, I'm going to mispronounce this because I don't have the actual pronunciation in front of me. But there's a on-demand truck hailing app called uh, Monbang. If I pronounce that correctly, please yell at me on Twitter. Um, that is looking to raise a billion dollars at a $10 billion, potentially a $10 billion valuation, according to a story in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, so on demand is, our, is obviously in the U.S. like a huge, huge, huge market. And and there's Uber has like its own Uber Freight. And there's all these other the, what's it, Convoy, I think, is another one. And there's a there's the, there's a number of platforms in the U.S. that are basically trying to create a easier way to handle freight shipping with trucks and things like that. And now, obviously, that should work in most other markets. And we have a $10 billion company in China. Lots of money in China. I, I'm, but I, this actually doesn't sound as, as ridiculous as it may seem on paper because... Having, no, 100% not, yeah. Having been to China, driven around, oh, those cities are big. And yeah. there are so many of them that have so many people. It's an, it's an astonishing country. And so there's going to be an enormous amount of truck traffic there. And I bet you the inefficiencies there are worth billions of dollars in lost money every year. Mm-hmm. So if you can actually get a huge handle on that market and revolutionize the way stuff moves around China, which has a huge industrial centers, manufacturing centers, cultural centers, I mean, it's a huge business. Yeah. Um, if this is the company to do it, I don't know. But certainly the market... Uh, the TAM, if you will, is sufficient. Total to addressable make the, market. I was Alex. trying to be rude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The TAM <laughs> is sufficient to make the market cap not unreasonable over time. Okay, and so the second round we have, and we're going to talk, we're going to sort of jump into the the what's whatever. Um, is uh, if you you probably know the name ByteDance by now. Um, so ByteDance is, uh, it's. A six-year-old company that may be worth seventy-five billion dollars, of course, because uh, that's <laughs> that's how things work today. Um, so, ByteDance is the owner of uh, uh, Toutiao, which is the the it's a very very popular news app in China. And then they also purchased Musically last year and merged it with an app called TikTok. So they have you know they uh, they have a kind of consumer-facing, fun karaoke-style app as well. Um, which TBD, what actually hap- what's going to happen there? Because uh, they spent a ton of money on Musically, and then clearly just like folded it into TikTok. Um, but so, so again, a ton of so they are looking to raise around three. Also from the Wall Street Journal, they're looking to raise around three billion dollars at an app as high as uh, not an app and 
valuation as high as $75 billion. So once again, we're talking about crazy high valuations coming out of China. You had like Xiaomi, which went public, at, like, which was one of the most valuable pub private companies in the world. Now we have another one of the most valuable private companies in the world and ByteDance, which I think is worth more than Uber now, if I'm if I'm doing my math right. It depends correctly. a bit on how you calculate Uber's valuation based on the slurry of secondaries, secondaries and things yeah. like that. Yeah. Rounds. I mean, also it also we what we don't know is what Uber values stuff internally. For right. The, so I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, we call it roughly more, but not by an insane amount. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, but I mean, we're, I mean, you look at the, I mean, you look at a lot of these companies that are that are in China, and Financial is another one that's like worth like twenty something billion dollars, and there's all the 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 sheer volume of un what do we call 10 billion plus to like we're not going to call it decacorn that's a terrible name <laughs> but the sheer volume of these companies that is just outpacing silicon valley in the united states by like a crazy rate and it's just it, it's again we i feel like we've talked about this a little bit before but is it because there's just a ton of money in china or are these actually like real legit like going to obviously fundamentally better than silicon valley companies uh, why not both? I mean, I yeah. don't know. <laughs> I mean, clearly there's a lot of money in China and there's a lot of a lot of people. Um, and there's a lot about just infrastructure. And um, I mean, when I think about the trucking company, maybe not so much ByteDance. It doesn't seem like a kind of uh, infrastructure type of problem. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but um, there's, there's still a lot of, um, you know, a lot of China that um, is um, – I guess from you know socioeconomic standpoint, it's um, it's developing too. So it's not like the entire country is on um, the same level. You, like tier two way. cities and things like that. Yeah. yeah. So and there, you know there's there's so much in terms of resources, whether it's human power or just um, money, and and it's actually fascinating. I'm assuming for both of these companies, but there's plenty of other examples of these. I don't know unicorn, decacorn, whatever you want to mm -hmm. you know megacorn companies mm -hmm. um, that have shot up in valuations and raised a ton of money in such a short period of time, and that's kind of typical for mm -hmm. China. Yeah. Um, and even when you look at say venture funds in China, typical length of a fund here is ten years, and so many of them are extending the fund period because there's just no liquidity happening. Mm -hmm. Companies take so long to go public. And in China, a lot of those vehicles are um, like I think what standard is five years. Like they expect the money to. You know, return. Come in, come out, yeah. return like quicker, <laughs> and it in many and there's many examples where it where it has already. So it's it's just it's fascinating to see. Just um, you know, is it better? I mean, I think there's probably been a lot of people who mm. talk about how China is so much better than Silicon Valley, and um, it's just a different, very different yeah. market. Well, I mean, one thing to note, I mean, I've, when I talk to some people about uh, apps, like for example, we'll go like Toutiao or Kuaishou or some of these other like consumer facing ones, is the cost of customer acquisition there is way lower than in the in the United States. So it's like it's one of those things where they can very easily hit like 200 million DAUs if they just yeah. wanted to, if they really, really exactly. wanted to. Um, so anyway, so that was a lot to get through, but uh, so that's all we've got for today. So thanks for joining us and uh, come back next week. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. And a big thank you to Matthew Lindley, Connie Loizos, our producer, Christopher Gates, our executive producer, Henry Pickovet, and we will see you all right here next week.